0: Welcome to Weight Loss for Busy CRNA Moms. If you are a CRNA, a busy mom, or a busy CRNA mom, or a woman looking to permanently lose weight, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Brittany Kolb from Weight Loss by Brittany. I'm a busy CRNA mom and certified life and weight loss coach. And like you, I not so long ago struggled to lose the weight and keep it off. But once I shifted my mindset and learned how I could use my brain to reach my weight loss goals, everything changed. I was able to lose 40 pounds and knew I had to share the secret with others. I'm here to help you achieve your permanent weight loss goals by uncovering what might be holding you back. Let's get started. Hi guys. Okay. This is a super special podcast. So now that I'm kind of in this process of really trying to help foster um, a healthy relationship with food with my son, um, and I read you know Raising a Happy Healthy Eater, which I kind of give you guys some cliff notes from the book in um, episode 17. I also found my friend, Dr. Beth Conlin, who is a pediatric um, nutritionist, and she has a, a private pediatric and family nutrition practice. And her practice helps children and adolescents and even adults overcome feeding and eating issues so that they can achieve good nutrition and reclaim mealtimes and develop a positive relationship with their food and body. And she basically, even you know, and she helps parents, one of the main things she does is she helps parents um, just navigate food and food introduction and um, just developing a good healthy relationship with food with their kids and gives them tools and guidance and resources and suggestions and just helps guide them in this process and i just think it is such um it's such an amazing thing that she does for people so i was like you know what i know so many of my clients and so many of my listeners you know while they're trying to change their relationship with food they're also probably in the same process of Maybe potentially trying to change the relationship with food with their um, with their children as well, and so I wanted to bring her on because she's got she's got an incredible educational background. Um, she is a wealth of knowledge. She has three kids of her own, and she's got so many tools and resources and so much guidance. And so in this interview, we went through a lot of the things that she does. So many great tips. So I just wanted to. Um, do this for you guys. And then, and then again, just have this be available to you so that you've got some, some good working knowledge. And then if you need to, if you're interested to reach out to her to, um, for, if you want more, you know, tailored support and more individualized support, um, she can help you. She can help you with your family and with your kids, if that's something that you're looking for. So, all right. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast and thanks again for listening. You guys, this podcast has over a thousand downloads. I am thank you. Thank you so much. I really hope this is helping you. Like I do this for you. I do this to help you. I do this to support you. Um, I do this as a resource for you. So I really am just am floored. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, and I'll keep giving you more things at home. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Dr. Beth Conlin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I am so glad you're here and I am so excited because this is going to be amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Brittany. Awesome. I'm really excited and happy to oh. be here.
0: That's so good. Okay. Beth, Dr. Beth. Yeah. Tell me what, Um, just tell me just like a little bit about your background and okay. what you do.
1: All right. So I am a registered dietitian and I focus largely on pediatric and family nutrition. So a lot of my clients are usually from ages around to up to 18, but I do some work with adults as well. And um, I I really work to help children, adolescents, and adults overcome feeding and or eating issues so that they can achieve good nutrition, reclaim mealtimes, and develop a positive relationship with food and body.
0: That is so amazingly cool. I love it so much. I feel like, I feel like, and I know I've said this before, like, I feel like I help people kind of like break generational patterns of poor eating. You know what I mean? And like, you're trying to help people also break those generational patterns with their kids which is yes phenomenal. So good. And just to make sure you have a, just tell us about like your, um, the business that you have really quickly, what the name of it is. Um, and I will also link all of that information in the show notes, oh, just FYI. Okay. So if people need to get in touch with you, they have access to you.
1: Awesome. Okay. So the name of my um, business is From the Start Nutrition. Uh, cool. My website's from the start And I'm also, um, I largely on Instagram and that's my handle as well. So pretty easy Amazing. to find.
0: Uh, yeah. Super easy. Okay. So you work with kids. You said, you said ages two to 18 and I know so yes. many of my listeners have kids. I mean, I have a four and a half year old, right. And we're all trying to yes. instill and like foster this healthy relationship yes. with food. Like when you meet with people, like, what yeah. does that look like? Like, what do you do? How does this work?
1: Yeah. So um, it, it all starts with like a basic kind of the foundation is the nutrition assessment. So um, when I meet with people, usually they will, they reach out. Um, I I do like to do a 10 minute phone call really before we get started, just to make sure we're a good fit. Um, I'll talk a little bit about my services and how it works and then hear more from them about what they're looking for. So I get to know mm-hmm. them a little bit there, but then the next appointment is, is what's called a nutrition assessment. It's usually lasts about 75 minutes. I send mm-hmm. them you know basic intake forms like, um, medical history, current complaints, stuff like that. But then I'll also give them, um, kind of targeted screener. So somebody comes to me because their child will only eat like 20 food. I have questionnaires for like picky eating if they're an older child, maybe at risk of eating disorder. I have a few, um, you know, eating disorder screeners that I give. So it's a lot of um, intake and questionnaires. And I go through that before the appointment. Then when we get together, we talk about it too. to hear, you know, hear um, kind of what some of their hopes and what their goals are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I usually do, cause I am a dietitian. I usually do like, I like to do a usual food intake. So, um, I'll just have them tell me like, what does a typical day look like? You know, if yesterday was a typical day of eating for a person, um, they could just, I go through like, uh, an interview, um, with them to kind of get a, a good idea of what they ate that day. Um, I'll do I have software and I'll do some kind of basic calculations to kind of estimate what their nutrition needs are. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I do this, sometimes I don't. It depends on on what they're in for, but um I might compare so they can actually see like what they're eating and how it compares to like what their nutrition requirements are. Um mm-hmm. that can be really insightful for some people to see um and then, you know, throughout the process, I'm constantly, like, checking back with them, seeing if they have questions. Um, and by the end, the the goal is really to do goal setting so that we're all, we're all on the same page. I can tell them what I think is going on from my end and um, how they're feeling. And then we come up with some goals for them to, that are small, mm-hmm. kind of small steps. I like to meet people where they are. So um, I'm not... I never for for in my practice like if a person comes to me they're not going to walk away with like a completely revamped meal plan that they like need to follow the next mm-hmm. day it's it's going to be like a very small change to start with and then usually we meet again in a week or two depending on their needs and um see how things go and then build from there.
0: So cool. Okay. So I think we all like I mean, I didn't even know people like you existed. And so when you started putting stuff out on social media, I was like, oh, my God, like because right, like I didn't really change my relationship with food until I was in my late 30s. And so therefore I have like this whole yeah. history of like my relationship with food and like how I've tried to like done this with my son. Right. So I think all of us yeah. as moms are like, how do we help our kids? Right not be quote unquote like picky eaters how do we yes. help foster this relationship and like what are your big recommendations there because I am yeah. like I am like I mean she you guys you guys Beth did she has got a whole Facebook group for it's private but you can ask to be um put into it and she did this video where she was offering her kid brussels sprouts and I was just like ah amazing. Like, like how, like the way that she approached it, like this, like the kid was like, this is disgusting. But like, right. she was like, okay, no big deal. We're just going to put it on the plate over here. Yep. Yeah. And like, I'm like, how did you figure out that that was like the first step? Like, like I don't, yeah. I have so many questions I'm have I'm like exploding with questions right now. So like, right. how do you foster this for kids? Like, I how know. does this So work?
1: I am a mom of three. I don't think I said that. My kids are, um, <laughs> I'm like, how old are they? Turning seven. They all, they have, two of them have summer birthdays. So yeah. Going to be seven on Sunday, just turn five and then three. So yeah. Um, all right. Let me start with a little, can I start with a little backstory?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: How I kind of got more. So I've always been interested in like maternal child health and I have a PhD and, um, uh, nutrition epidemiology research and I, I looked at maternal child health and kind of the parent feeding child child relationship there. But I didn't really get into this and like kind of connect it to starting private practice until I had my first son who, mm-hmm. um you know, kind of what's the word like you know, when I had, when I was pregnant or whatever, you know, we have these like dreams and expectations. And as a dietician, I was like, he's going to breastfeed and he's going to eat all these like vegetables and stuff. Like that all went downhill. My first week, he ended up being like double tongue tied. And this mm-hmm. was back in 2015. I know it's gotten better now, but back then, like there was nobody was really talking about tongue ties. So I didn't really know what was going on. Um, and he just had like feeding issues kind of the whole way he was very picky as, um, once. So most kids, there is developmentally normal picky eating, um, usually around 18 months, um, to two it starts. So that's why you'll, you'll often hear, Oh my gosh, my, my baby ate everything. And now, now they won't what's going on. So uh, some of it is normal. And there is that, you know, that advice that they will grow it. But for some kids, they don't first, they don't not all kids outgrow it. Um, and it's not always normal. And for my son, I just knew because there were other things going on that something was just slightly off. Um, and it just so happened that my best friend um, is an occupational therapist, so I would for kids, a pediatric occupational Mm -hmm. therapist. So I would text her at like 11 o'clock at night, like, oh my gosh, my, my kid is still up or he just threw this tantrum. And like, why is this so hard? She's like, maybe you should have him evaluated by like a behavioral pediatrician. So I did. Turns out he had some ADHD and sensory sensitivities. Mm -hmm. So uh, being a researcher and a dietitian, I like, threw myself into it. And it turns out that a lot, there's a a lot of um, sensory dysregulation, sensory sensitivities are actually underlying drivers of picky eating. So it's not just the child. It's not, it's usually nothing a parent is doing. Um, Statistics statistics show that less than seven to 8% of um, picky eating or extreme picky eating is actually because of something the caregiver has like directly done to the child. And usually that seven to 8% is, per- is, is like some sort of trauma. So mm. parents aren't doing anything wrong, you know, especially not intentionally, right? They just may not be using the right techniques for their child. So for Ryan, I had to just learn different approaches That worked for him. So Mm -hmm. when you see that video with me now with my youngest Eliza, who's a very adventurous eater, by the way, she's like, I got lucky with her.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Um, that's great.
1: Because Ryan would have run away from that Brussels sprout. He wouldn't have even like tolerated. He would have been like, I'm going in the other room right now. Mm -hmm. Um, that was like culmination of years of me working, also with like occupational therapy. Um, I did training and SOS approach to feeding, which, um, is, a tech is a feeding therapy approach that really integrates like nutrition as well as speech and, um, occupational therapy. Um, and some behavioral psychology as well. So that's how I got there it was really just by being a mom. And I can say that I have three kids and they're all very different eaters.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what, so like, How did you navigate that with Ryan? Like all the research, all the information that you had, like how does that, like, I mean, so this is probably so many people are like, I am that person, I am you. You know what I mean? So that's so, yeah, go ahead.
1: So, one of the best things I learned um, was from a child psychologist that we saw who taught us um, kind of this, I think it's a three step process, um, three step process to mitigate tantrums but it works anywhere so or with anything really so um the first is just ign- um acknowledging that like something is going on so it could be something really silly but just acting like oh my gosh i'm so sorry that carrot sitting on the table has really scared you or made you made you anxious or something so the second mm-hmm. step is um kind of having that empathy. So it's like acknowledgement and empathy um, for them, even if it's so silly, like even if, you know, you could do it with, uh, I'm mad at my sister because, she took the Barbie that I haven't played with in two years and I wanted yeah. to happen to, you know, this play is with very her.
0: realistic yes. story you're telling. Yes. yes. I, yeah, uh-huh, for sure. <laughs>
1: um, you, you so acknowledgement,
0: like, empathy. Acknowledge, mm-hmm. like,
1: oh, I'm so sorry. Your sister did that. Like, um, you must feel very, and then kind of Practice learning different feelings and like there's actually which sounds silly to me to practice, but there's actually long lists of vocab you can arm arm yourself with to know, um, you know that I'll just use frustrated. That must be very frustrating. Um, and then, so coming at them from like kind of like an acceptance place, an empathetic place, labeling, which also teaches young kids how to label their feelings, and then you can come in and be the parent. And, and kind of guide them through the situation, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I really get it. I'm here for you. I love you. Uh, and then, but phrases are kind of a big, like, good tool. But <laughs> you know, um your sister is going to play with that for a minute, and then you're going to play with it. You need to wait your turn, and you know, the child might tantrum still. And you can let them that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, They need to learn how to regulate themselves in those situations. So the same thing with food, like, I'm sorry, this carrot is really scary to you. Um, That must not feel good inside, you know, how can I help you um, not be so scared? What can I do, you know, and if they don't know how to communicate what you can do for them, you can give Mm -hmm. them some ideas. Do you want me to put on the plate over there? Do you want me to take it away? You could be silly. Do you want me to eat it? Mm-hmm. Do you want me to make a crunch with it? Um, you know, you could just give them options and then let them decide. And eventually they learn how to better communicate.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so
1: that's definitely, I would say using that approach, kind of like the, so what was the summary of that? Um you want to acknowledge, just try to connect with them at the emotional mm-hmm. level, get where they are. Um, even if it's something really Ridiculous. Um, <laughs> empathy, You know, show them empathy. Label. Use use the label so that they can learn that feeling that they're having, and then um, come up with some alternatives for them so they know, like maybe their behavior is not okay. Maybe their feeling that they're having isn't actually a true thought, or you know, maybe they shouldn't. That belongs in that situation, so they can learn. Um, mm-hmm. over time how to handle it later so for for with episodes like food my son didn't like I would do that over and over again and eventually like if if it's the carrot that he used to be afraid of after doing that so many times um he learns how to talk about it then and then once he can kind of talk about it he didn't mind it sitting there so much and and on the table so I, I could leave it say near him or even eventually on his plate and he would be kind of like you know, blah about mm-hmm. it, <laughs> but instead mm-hmm. of having a tantrum. So that's a huge win. Um, so I know it's not a typical approach that people would think of, but, um, that was super helpful for me.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, that's
1: in a lot of settings.
0: Yeah. For sure. Yeah. A hundred percent. It seems it's like very, um, like my kids in a Montessori school. So it's very like, you know, acknowledge feelings, like get on their level, like empathize and like, don't, don't like always validate their feelings. Like don't belittle them or dismiss them. Like everything that they're thinking and feeling is real. And like trying to help them like have some emotional intelligence for sure. Um, Right. That's super important. And so I loved – yeah. oh, go ahead, Beth. Yeah, go I ahead. I was going
1: to say, yeah, if you do it, then you've probably seen it too. Like you can almost see if they're like really upset or crying. As soon as you give them that validation, they, they almost pause. Even if they – do you notice that? Mm-hmm. they You can see the calm on their face even mm-hmm. if they continue to tantrum after that. But
0: mm-hmm. They're like, I, I'm seen and I'm being yes. heard and, and it, my mom is going to love me even though I'm having this tantrum. Exactly, yeah. which is yeah. like, so like, so securing for them too. It is. Um, so then I guess, cause that video with the Brussels sprout, I'm telling you guys, everyone go and watch this video. It's so amazing. <laughs> like how, so is that, I just read raising a happy healthy eater and the podcast that's going right. to air prior to this one. They, they kind of mentioned the same thing. It's like you put the food on their plate. Like it's all about exposure yeah. and like, and like tolerance and like eventually if they'll put it on their plate like maybe they'll eat it someday or maybe they'll like put it in their mouth and like right so in that video just give a synopsis of the video and then if you don't mind please and then just like what your rationale is behind that um yeah that uh tool that you kind of used in that. Um,
1: so there was a few things going on in the plate. So the first thing I did was I was making Brussels sprouts for my husband and I, um, and I wanted to introduce it to my daughter. Um, so, One great rule, um, is to, when you are introducing a new food to introduce it with some of their like foods, you know, they'll eat most of the time. They're familiar foods, foods that that they're not scared of. They're not going to run away from. And this is true, even for children who only eat five foods, um, you would serve Mm -hmm. it with whatever combination of those five foods you, you want to at that meal. Um, so I, she had familiar foods on her plate and then, Another, um, a common mistake people make when introducing kind of those, you know, foods like Brussels sprouts or broccoli or something that a lot of kids are like grossed out about of, mm-hmm. is of, they serve too much, which is intimidating, um, to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause, um, first of all, we have to always remember that toddlers and preschoolers, their portion sizes can be like a quarter to one half of an adult. So what we think is a normal portion for us, um, is even less you know is is a lot less for our kids mm. um so I, I think I served like a little piece I just served a little piece mm-hmm. of the Brussels sprout that was it <laughs> on the plate with something I knew she she liked um so then um you know I served it to her and I think you could see her yeah she goes that <laughs> that's
0: disgusting <laughs> it was so cute she had such a cute little voice I just thought <laughs> yeah. she was like that's disgusting <laughs> and then what did you do
1: um so then you know I try to stay calm it was kind mm-hmm. of funny too I try not to laugh <laughs> you <guys> just <laughs> want to you know make don't make a big deal out of it mm-hmm. and then give her what did I do give her her options as as her outs like oh you don't like that you think that's disgusting okay um do you want to put it on this plate over here so mm-hmm. um that's another tool is kind of having like a um sometimes. I call it like a do I do not like this plate. It could be a napkin. It doesn't necessarily have to be a plate. Um, consistency is better for kids because then they learn um, that that's the I I don't like it plate. Um, and it's their out, right? You can then take a piece of the food they don't want to eat and they can put it on their do not like it plate, mm-hmm. um, which from an exposure perspective which you mentioned earlier has benefits because eventually I think I had to do it for her in the video but if I did it a couple times she might actually start doing it herself which is then touching right she goes from like not even being able to kind of be near it to now she's picking it up and moving it herself which is a big step um in getting and learning to like a new food
0: I see. And I think that is like one thing that people are just like, oh, like I, this is how I would be. I'd be like, oh, kid just doesn't like Brussels sprouts. Like try it once. Yeah, He doesn't like it. He's not going to eat it. But like it really does take a child's brain. I feel like a certain like a number of exposures just to like look at it and be like, this is food. I'm supposed to eat this, and then oh, it's totally different texture. I've never eaten anything like this with these layers and leaves, and it's white on the inside and it's green on the outside. And then I crunch into it, and some of it's crispy because it was sautéed, and it's a little warm, and layers come off, and then like processing it in your mouth, like it's such a You know, the repeated exposure thing, I I was just like floored when I read that, that, that idea. And then, yeah, it's like, it's, and it's a win if it stays on the plate. It's a win if they even pick it up and touch it. It's a win if they even talk about it. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, like, don't, don't belittle that. And so in your experience, I mean, how many exposures does it take for a kid to like put something in their mouth?
1: Right. It obviously depends on the child, but, um, anywhere from 10 to 20, um, up to 30 or, or more times for more extreme picky eaters Mm -hmm. and putting in the mouth could be just touching their lips, licking, kissing. Um, it could be chewing, it could be swallowing. So any of those are, are considered great. Um, you know, we need to be realistic in our expectations. I mean, a lot of I feel like a lot of friends I have like still kind of shudder at Brussels sprouts, right? Like, so Great. you have to be realistic in what they might be, might do. And it depends on the child, but yeah, it could be anywhere from 10 to 20 to 30 more times really. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, yeah. I, anyway. Okay. That's amazing. I would say my, que- like another question I have is like, what do you think, like, the number one thing people don't really realize when they're trying to help their kids, like have a better relationship with food. Like, what would you, what do you most often like recommend? Like what do you feel like helps people the most? Or are you just really individualized in each family and whatever their situation is? And yeah.
1: Um, I mean, if I had to choose one, I think honestly, I think routine is, is pretty Mm. key.
0: Yeah. Um, Tell me about that.
1: Children just tend to really thrive on things that are familiar, including their days. So they like to have their schedule. You know, they wake up at certain times, they expect breakfast at a certain time. They usually have snack at a certain time and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, so having consistency in that can be really important, having consistency and kind of, um where the eating location um whether it's the kitchen whether snack time is at the kitchen table or on the living room couch it's it's kind it's more important to be consistent for them cuz mm. that creates a sense of familiarity and when kids lose that sense of familiarity, which happens, we have to remember happens a lot to them, <laughs> like what some, a quick change to us might be something that's kind of more shocking to them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then they're going to go into a meal and they're going to be less, uh, they're going to be a little bit more anxious. They're going to be less calm. So if it is a child that's more prone to have picky eating behaviors, that's just going to really throw them off and they may not want to eat.
0: Mm-hmm. And That's they especially
1: probably wouldn't be open to like trying something new at that point. So, um,
0: it's like a safe time, space for them. It's a
1: safe space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like timing structure is kind of one of the first things, um, I end up working on with a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, even with that, like having cues can be really helpful, like giving a five minute warning or 10 minute warning, like we're going to eat in 10 minutes or eat in five minutes that gives the children, the child, the time to kind of stop, you know, phase out of whatever they're doing, kind of decompress Mm -hmm. a little, just transition, a transition period. Um, so then again, they come to the table a little bit happier, a little bit calmer, and then they will be more open to eat. Whereas if you just like yank them from whatever they're playing with, which of course we have to give ourselves grace because if we're in a rush or something, you know, it happens, but, Mm -hmm. um, consistency over time and kind of practicing, giving them cues or five or 10 minute warnings, um, they'll, then they'll get used to it and be able to come to, to meal time more kind of
0: open. That's so cool. What am I like, what am I missing? Like, what are like, what like, yeah. so I think, you know, it's like, okay, so you've got, sorry, I just went away from my microphone. So, I mean, I know you, you have so much knowledge, so many resources, so many tools, so much incredible guidance. I'm like, I'm like, what question am I not asking you that someone yeah. wants to know? Yeah,
1: <laughs> right.
0: You know um, what I mean.
1: I know. Um, I mean, I guess like have you seen like the intuitive eating movement for kids or anything like that?
0: No. Tell me about that. What's the intuitive eating movement for kids?
1: Okay. Um, Are you familiar with intuitive eating?
0: I am. I read the intuitive eating book and my sister who coaches with me as well as intuitive eating certified. So yeah, she is. So I mm -hmm. did
1: that too. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So I am like, I'm trying to learn a little bit more, but I'm so excited to hear what it's like like for kids. So
1: on social media, so there is a book, I think, "Raising Intuitive Eaters" by wonderful dietitians. Um, and I honestly didn't get through the whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. that's just me, though. I like read halfway half. I have all these half read books. <laughs> it's a bad habit. Um, and but there's still no like, this is what it means. So you kind of can see a spectrum on social media right now about what it means to raise an intuitive eater anywhere Mm -hmm. from like, don't (laughs) to let a child eat kind of whatever they want when they want to approach. So my take on it is that um, I think that I personally think that as parents, we need children aren't great, especially young children aren't great at self-regulating. It's kind of our job as parents to teach them, right? Teach them their boundaries, teach them, how to self-regulate? Teach them how to process their emotions. Teach them how to make the right kind of food choices for their own bodies. Um, so my approach is, is more centered. Where yes, and it depends on the child. Uh, obviously children with you know major with um, developmental delays or things like that. We need to really consider our approaches with. Um, but you can teach really any child. You can talk to them about. Um, how their body feels again, with that language, like with feelings, you can teach that you can start giving them language to tell you how, how does their belly feel? What are they feeling? Um, if a kid is constantly grazing, you know, you can ask them, are you really hungry? Is your tummy really hungry right now? Or um, are you bored? Are you this? Are you mad? Are you sad? Like what, what mm-hmm. is it? What is going on with you right now? So giving them that language. Um, and then it, it still is okay in my opinion, this may not be everybody's opinion on intuitive eating for kids, to set those boundaries, though. So it doesn't mean that they're eating candy every day for breakfast, um, right? It means that, like, my body
0: wants candy, mom. My body wants candy,
1: right? (laughs) Exactly. That's what a lot of kids would say. My body tells me
0: that, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. My daughter would literally eat chocolate for breakfast every day although I honestly probably would too <laughs> um, <laughs> um but it, it's like and so, and so if my so if my daughter wakes up one morning she's like I want chocolate for breakfast right I'm like oh my god in my head I'm like uh <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's like seven in the morning you really want chocolate right now um but instead I'll say like oh yeah chocolate's really yummy it's such a good food um but we're not serving that right now. Like we're having mm-hmm. waffles and fruit or whatever it is you make you want to make them for breakfast. For breakfast. So why don't we have a piece of chocolate a little bit later with your snack? Um, so just changing that language a little bit from being like, no, you're not having chocolate. It's breakfast. Yeah. You can't eat it, or chocolate's bad, you can't eat it for breakfast. It's Again, validating them. Yeah, chocolate's great. Yeah, chocolate's <laughs> you know?
0: pretty delicious. I get it. Wouldn't it's it be cool good. if we could eat chocolate for breakfast? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not available yeah. though. Yeah. But it's that not makes sense.
1: available right now. So again, later. kind of by later. You can have some later. So it's not restricting, mm-hmm. right? They're not gonna mm-hmm. be like, oh, I can't eat chocolate. They they they're not gonna be ingrained with that good and bad label that we all grew up with, which I think has done a really big disservice mm-hmm. to us.
0: Mm-hmm. Um
1: you know, it kind of neutralizes it, but she's going to just think like, oh, my mom's not making that. It's not available to re- me right now. I'll have it for a snack later. And again, she may not like that and that's okay. So then you can go through the whole, again, validate the feelings. I'm here for you. I'm sorry, but that's, that's what's going on right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that makes so much sense. Like not having to put like a restriction behind it. Right. Because I feel like, I mean, even for so many of my clients, they're just like, yeah, like we just weren't allowed to have that in the house. So like if it was available, we went crazy with it. Like we would overeat it because we didn't know we were going to get it again. Right. Right. And it's this like restrictive mindset. Does this a total disservice in your adult life for sure. Right. But like even my kid tonight, like we went and got ice cream and, um, and I gave him the whole pint. I was like, he'll regulate. He'll be fine. I was like, he knows it's available. I'm not going to like restrict this. I'm just like, here, you have to have the pint. Eat what you want. He had like a few bites. He was done. He was like, okay, I'm full. I'm like, perfect. Yeah. Right? There's no scarcity around it. There's no like, I'm never going to get this again. It's like, it's available sometimes. It's not yeah. that big of a deal. right? I'm probably messing my not- kid up somehow in some way, but still <laughs> like, but I'm trying, like, right. I'm trying not to be like, well, you can only yeah. have this much and only this much. You know what I mean? Or like eat it all because this is the only serving you're getting. Like, that's the other thing, right? Like this is your chance thing too. So, yeah. No,
1: I mean, I see that with my kids too. Um, I see it in my son who, you know, needs a little bit more help self-regulating, but same thing. Like if I make, I'll make things more abundantly available and they, they might be excited or whatever, but usually take two bites and that's it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty cool. Like I was never like that as a kid. I'd be like, "Oh, I'm gonna eat either. like four of these things. Yeah. I'm gonna have four bowls of ice cream instead." So,
1: yeah.
0: Um, that I love that. I love this intuitive eating for kids idea. This is amazing. I want to read that book next, along yeah. with all the other books that I have like half read. That sounds so right. so cool. <laughs> okay, so can I ask you a personal question? So we're we're no at either. the exposure place right now and like we're kind of practicing like everybody has like this on their plate and and, like just and I'm thinking of it as like a win that it's on the plate and then sometimes we kind of mess around with it like we're playing with tomatoes like my son used to eat tomatoes like whole pints full of tomatoes and now he won't touch them, which is so interesting so and I'm growing a bajillion tomatoes so I've got everyone's got (sighs) a tomato and we like we're playing with like popping them in our mouths and like and like having the juices fly everywhere and I'm like but he still won't I'm like like, I'm like, what about like, so at this point, how do you transition from it's on your plate to like getting yeah. them to even like and to pick it and they're picking it up to like getting them to taste it without being like, just taste it, damn it. <laughs> like, just, just like <laughs> give it a lick. Right. Just like, but like, how do you make that? Transition. Yeah. Because I feel like First that's where all, I'm stuck right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. First of all, if you do say those things, I've I say them too. Sometimes you just say it. It's okay. So again, give yourself, you know, <laughs> grace if something comes out and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that, but it's fine. Yeah.
0: Totally <laughs> um, messing up all the time. I mean,
1: I like what you said like you were doing. I think mimic putting it in your mouth, mimic playing with it. You, you can ask, like, do you want to try it too? And if they're like no, then kind of just drop it or you mm-hmm. could ask again in a few minutes later so it doesn't seem so pressuring. Um you can also um another thing is if you think about it, it's on their plate, it's a little bit far away. Um you could use there there's a few strategies, but you could try if they don't like to touch it or if they are touching it, but some prefer to use a utensil. Um, other things are that we learn in feeding therapy and it's a sensory integration thing is to um kind of start with trying to get them to touch their arms and then work their way up their arms. So you could make up little songs like uh it's see bitsy spider with a tomato or something crawling up your arm. Um, and then you wanted to try to get them to touch their head. And then eventually they'll start bringing it kind of in front of their face and that's getting it closer to their mouth too. Um, and that just helps them learn to, I guess, pro- process the tomato from a sensory perspective better.
0: So they're like holding it in their mouth and their hand, and in then they're like touching hand. it on their, they're on kind their, their of, body. It's yes. right. Like here, going up the left.
1: arms, going up to the head, uh, kind of crossing the, the midline, like in front of their face um
0: yeah that's a cool idea i never what like, i would have never thought about that like you know so much this is so cool i'm so glad you're doing this for people this is just such a great idea i think it's amazing yeah um yeah because i'm because okay we can try that any other ideas too like i like that idea i mean he'll yeah. put things in his mouth sometimes and like lick them but then okay. I'm just like, Pfft. and i'm like he'll okay spit it out. yeah You know, but again, like if it goes in his mouth, I still think that's a win. But like, how do you make the transition to like in your mouth and chewing?
1: And chewing, yeah. For
0: some things, I'm just like, when is this ever going to happen?
1: Right. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it is tough. You just need to have patience and kind of let them, I think, open up for themselves. It really, for most kids, it does happen usually by age six or seven. They'll get more. Mm adventurous or more um you know willing to try or at least eat things um you can also again give them an out you can say um you could try to make a game out of it or make it fun you know let's um can you try to put this in tomato in your mouth and squirt it and then if you don't like it you can spit it out um like Mm. teaching kids actually it's okay to spit Um, especially for pickier eaters can be really powerful because then they know if they put something in their mouth and they don't like it, it can come out of their mouth.
0: I mean, that sounds, that makes sense, Beth. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like listening to you and I was like, oh my gosh, what a relief that would probably be for him to think, well, just because it goes in my mouth doesn't mean, and I'm not going to be like, Punished or like scolded, or not, you know, not that I would punish or scold them for these things. Or I'm not gonna have like right because I think my automatic reaction used to be like, don't spit that out, <laughs> or like, you know, or like, or sometimes it gets spit like crazy yeah. places, you know, but that makes perfect sense. Like, yeah, if you take a bite, you know, and yeah, then you it's, it's totally. Fine. Yeah, we'll spitting,
1: It's not intuitive. I mean, I don't, it's not natural to be, tell your child it's okay to spit at least not for our generation. I don't yeah. think, um, I mean, I think it's a little gross, <laughs> but yeah. it is, it is helpful. And I started doing it with my kids and you can also set boundaries, right? You don't want them to be spitting everywhere. So you could say, let them know, like we can spit when we're in our home and
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're trying new foods or something and this is your spit plate or spit napkin or something, but it's not always, a you know, appropriate, I don't whatever, whatever you want to mm-hmm. say, like maybe to be more mindful when you're out places or something like that.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I guess this they could always sense.
1: still spit it out, but, you know, you kind of want them to feel like they could spit something out they're out too, but maybe tell them to use a napkin or something
0: more discreet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. This is amazing. So, um, You're amazing. Thank you for what, doing um, this.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, this was great. What um what kind of things do you hear from from your clients and your groups about like feeding their kids?
0: I mean, I think the biggest thing for them for a lot of them is just like it's like, well, my family won't eat X, y, Z, so I'm stuck eating these other things and i think when you get yeah. into like a habit of like i'm going to eat chicken nuggets all the time and i'm going to eat pizza right. all the time because i know my kids going to eat that like i think it's i think it's trying to find for them personally in like their weight loss journey it's like trying to find foods that work for them but also work for their family i think is okay. like a big thing and yeah. then and then as far as as far we don't really get too far into like trying to correct the kids things. So that's not my realm. Like that's why I'm talking to you. Cause I don't know anything about that. I, I mean, I'm just like, at least like at a minimum you're modeling, like eating yeah. new things and they're getting exposed to new things. Um, but like finding foods that work not only for them and yeah. like their protocol that I kind of put them on, but also, um, what is going to work for their kids as well. So like we work really hard together to do that. And I know you've got like a ton of recipes and like for that, for my, for my, um, but they, but then here, here, let me, you were like, are you going to edit this? And I was like, no, and I'm still probably not (laughs) going to edit it. So let me backtrack. Here's the other thing that I hear from my clients is just like, they're like, I see what I'm doing when it comes to emotional eating. And when it comes to overeating and when it comes to boredom eating and habitual eating patterns and belief systems around food and like over desire for things, they're like, I see that in my kid and I just don't want that to be there. And like they're, they feel so lost because they're like, I don't know what to do to also help my kid have a better relationship with food. Right. Cause like you said, it's not intuitive. If you weren't raised that way and you weren't developed that way and you don't inherently just eat food when you're hungry and stop when you're satisfied and not overeat and not, you know, emotionally eat. Like it is not an intuitive thing for some, for someone to then teach that to a young child, especially when you're trying to change your relationship with food and you're like already have raised them a certain way. They already have patterns that you've adopted, that they've adopted. My clients have adopted for so long and now they're trying to break them, not only in themselves, but in their kids too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a better answer to your question.
1: Okay. It's like
0: is like making the changes themselves, but then also trying to make the change in their family.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: It's like an overhaul. You know, it they is. start with themselves. It's, it's like baby steps and then trying to, and then they're like, well, you know, I also see this and I don't want this. I don't want the same thing to happen to my son or my or my daughter yeah. because like my, my mom was like this and my grandma was like this and now I'm like this and now my kids like All this.
1: Right right so that's exactly yeah it's what they're uh, seeing yeah but that awareness is is great that they you mm-hmm. know that they're aware that they care and yeah they're role modeling and it sounds like they learn with you a lot of good vocab that they can definitely teach their child like he, again like if they're great if the kid's grazing one day a- ask them you know what are what are you feeling right now it, are you actually hungry what does that feel like what does your hunger feel like mm-hmm. um and if they're like, oh, I don't know if I am hungry, but, uh, you know, help them label what are they and then give them some alternatives.
0: Yes, man. This is going to help. help so many people, Beth. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm probably, I'm going to be booking a consult with you at some point for a <laughs> session, no doubt, uh, as I continue on this journey, because Like I know for me personally, like I only now really have the mental capacity to be like, no, I need to make this change in my family too, like for my kid, Yeah, you know? And like, I would like to foster this more. And it's, it takes truly intentional thinking and like some, some, some tools and guidance. And even I think accountability being like, Hey, I have someone to like, that has the answers that can help me with my kid do these things. Like, and it's just phenomenal. So thank you for everything that you're doing thank you so much for being on the podcast. Is there anything else you want to share before we um, jump off? Um,
1: the only other thing I would say, which I don't know if it works with like kind, kind of some of the meal protocols you have, but um, serving meals, what's called deconstructed could be mm. helpful. So if you have a dinner, that's like five components or something. um, And maybe the adult, eats it like mixed up in a bowl or something, try serving each like component kind of in a separate dish, kind of like buffet style, and then let the family choose which, Mm -hmm. which of those foods they want to put on their plate. It's just another way to increase exposure to maybe some different foods. Um, you know, if they start a lifestyle change, maybe they're eating foods that they weren't eating before or something, um, to expose them to that. And then if you do that route with like totally new foods and offer one or two familiar foods that, you know, everybody will eat along with that so that you can at least know that they're going to eat something. Mm -hmm. Um, so I talk a lot, a lot about family style on my Instagram. So follow me for tips and stuff on that.
0: Oh my gosh. So good. Can you give an example of a deconstructed, like what,
1: a yeah, deconstructed so, meal might look like? Um, I guess a simple example, which we do all the time is like, I like to eat like a, a a burrito bowl. So like I'll do like rice, chicken, you know, all kind of mixed up in my bowl. My husband will do that the same. But for mm-hmm. deconstructed, we would just put out the rice in one dish. We would put the meat in the, another dish. We would put the tomatoes or whatever we have in another dish. The salsa goes in another dish. So then they're all, and then you have the separate dishes Um, and then you can serve them as a buffet kind of, or you could put them all in the middle of the table and like pass them around, which is another great thing to do, especially if kids are a little bit older, cause then even if they don't take from it, they're still like getting that exposure, like up Mm close exposure to the dish. Um, and that allows the kids to plate their own food, which gives them more, um, control over the situation. So they might feel a little bit more comfortable. You're getting the exposure to the sight, to the smells, all of that stuff. Um, And then uh, over after practicing a couple of times, some families find that they can really start to reduce like the amount of short order cooking they start doing and the kids will learn to kind of take from their options.
0: Mm, Yeah. I know people would love to do that. Yeah, it does make sense. How do you... How do, at what point do you allow like your kid to serve themselves, or you do you just say, like, how much of this do you want on your plate? Like, for the littlest one you have, right? Like, she's tiny. Yeah,
1: I'll it, it depends on how messy you want to get that night. So, usually, yeah, you know, I'll serve her sometimes, sometimes I'll let her do it, sometimes it gets all over the place if she tries. Um, but mm-hmm. my son, who's almost seven now, he could definitely pass around a dish and yeah, and take, take stuff. So, um, but yeah, for the little ones, it's okay. You you obviously help them serve it to themselves, but at least you're still giving them kind of that choice instead of just always pre-plating their food.
0: Okay. Um, you don't know, have to That's... do it every
1: night. It's work, but like I try to do it once or twice a week, you know, set realistic expectations for yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And something's kind of coming up for me right now, just after this whole conversation, it's like, it's like. These changes are not going to happen overnight. No, like they're not going to happen in in your families. It's going to take it could take months, it could take years, right? Like this is yeah. not necessarily like an overnight change. Like just like with weight loss, it's like it's not going to be an overnight change. Like it's going to be a slow, gradual, steady change and so not to right. get frustrated but to be like but just to continue on with the process and like, don't give up. Like, I feel like people just give up. So like I used to just give up, but just be like, well, he just doesn't like Brussels sprouts. Just doesn't like green beans. We're just not going to eat these anymore. And like, it's just like the consistency with it and being and keeping up with it and the tolerance and the patience and the acknowledgement and the empathy that you're talking about. Like it just, Mm -hmm. yeah, makes it's so, it's so great. And it's so great that you are someone that can guide people on this journey. I think it's just amazing. So yeah,
1: that well said, and thank you.
0: You're welcome. It's, it's
1: okay, tough to do yeah on your own. So you do you need help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all need each other too. So
0: mm-hmm. okay, so from the start, nutrition, Dr. Beth Conlin. I'm going to put all this information. I'm I'll, if you could actually send me your Instagram link because I don't even have that. I don't want that. Um, your Instagram link. Um, <laughs> Your whatever information you'd like me to put out there, your email, your website, all of it—it's all going to be in the show notes of this, so you guys can get in touch with her, so you can start working on, um, you know, helping your kids and have a great relationship with food as well. Just going to be amazing, so amazing! Oh, I love it so much! Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You are phenomenal. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you so
1: much for having me. It's been <laughs> you great. And I know all of your listeners are going to do a wonderful job. They're doing a wonderful job and they'll do a wonderful job.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to stop recording now. Thanks for listening to this episode of Weight Loss for Busy CRNA Moms. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on our upcoming episodes. And if you like what I shared today, you should also check out weightlossbybritney.com for even more great weight loss tips, some of my favorite recipes and mindset tools that I use to lose 40 pounds. Once there, you can also book a free consultation with me, Brittany Kolb, your certified life and weight loss coach.